Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Things to complain about in Michigan. The potholes. Mondays. Mondays are a good thing to complain about wherever you are. Uh, The cold weather. Thank you. Dutch pronunciations of names. (laughs) Vanderklok. That one's pretty easy. Having to wake up, as if you'd rather not. Um, And of course, the Detroit Lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Go Pack Go. And uh, no, I will not be discussing the most recent meetup after after the message. So before we get going any further, I'm going to pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before you, God, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit be present in this room, Father, that your Holy Spirit be present in in the lives and the hearts of the people that have come to join together and worship you, Father. And I just thank you um, for your goodness, Jesus. I just thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. I am Becca, and Samuel and I have the privilege of being lead pastors here at Life West Church. And today, I actually get to share with you in the series, My Big Fat Mouth, about complaining. I'm not exactly sure why he asked me to share with you. I have a few guesses, um, but I was really, really excited when he said, could you preach on complaining? Because in my mind, I thought, this is the perfect first thing to preach about at the church. Because if I do a horrible job, nobody's going to have the guts to complain about it. (laughs) So um, at some point, when it comes to complaining, at some point, we all do it. I think it's a little bit like bad breath, though. It's really easy to notice when it comes out of somebody else's mouth and not as easy to notice when it comes out of our own right? And then if you look at our society, we actually have developed an acceptable form of complaining, right? Oh, I have to go to work again. Hashtag first world problems. Oh, my Starbucks coffee is not hot enough. Hashtag first world problems. It's really easy and acceptable for us to complain. The Greek word translated complainer literally means one who is discontented with their lot in life. And we actually see this a lot throughout the Bible, but I want to focus today in this first section on Exodus 16, where we have the Israelites who have, um, they're in the desert, and, you know, the desert doesn't sound like a super fun place to be, so they're complaining, and, and I sort of get that. Except if you look at the very recent history that they have, they were slaves to the Egyptians. Slavery, desert, you know, desert sounds a little bit better to me than slavery. And in order for them to get out of slavery, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, performed 10 miracles in order for them to escape. Then when they escaped out into the desert, you know, they were, they were leaving and Pharaoh had, Pharaoh had finally said, yeah, go. And Pharaoh changed his mind. And so Pharaoh sent his army after the Israelites. But the Israelites came up to the Red Sea. And when they got there, the sea parted, and they walked through on dry land in safety away from the Egyptians. I have a joke for you. What does a nosy pepper do? Gets jalapeno business. Okay, listen to this one. Listen to this one. What does a nosy pepper do? 
gets jalapeno business. Okay, okay, I got one more, one more. What does a nosy pepper do? It gets jalapeno business. Now, maybe you notice the different reactions to that joke each time I told it. The first time, just about everybody laughed, right? The second time, a few of you laughed, but I think it might have been because you wondered if I knew I told the same joke twice. <laughs> and the third time I told the joke, I got a lot of blank stares. Why? Because it had lost its novelty. You were used to it. Sometimes when we experience things over and over again, it's easy for them to lose their novelty. Think about breathing. How many of you this morning when you woke up said, okay, brain, breathe, grab some oxygen from the air, perform all these chemical reactions, good, okay, get the blood into my, get, get the, the oxygen into my blood, push it through my body, okay, now exhale the oxygen I don't need. How many people did that? Nobody. Bryce, always Bryce. <laughs> Nobody did that. But we aren't all walking around saying, wow, do you know what happened to me this morning? I woke up and my body had just pulled the oxygen out of the air and it performed all of these chemical reactions and did all this stuff. And then all of a sudden the oxygen was in my blood and it was awesome. And then there was extra oxygen. And so then my body just said, get rid of the extra oxygen. No, I did not see anybody wowed by that today. But it's no longer a novelty, right? And so I look at... I look at um, the Israelites and I think they had just experienced these miracles and yet it became so commonplace to them that when they got at a, a place that felt like a dry spot for them, what they resorted to was complaining. In Philippians 2, Paul writes to us from prison and he says this in verses 14 and 15. He says that we are to do everything, everything, without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do everything without complaining? I think I do everything with complaining. I have to do the dishes. Uh, I have to do the laundry. Because uh, uh, that one's always twice. They need a machine that folds and puts away my laundry. Um, Anyhow, we are called to do everything without complaining. The thing is, though, I really don't want this message to focus on condemnation because I think we're all kind of, we've all been guilty of complaining at some point. I want this to be a message of encouragement. So I, wanted to, I want this message to center on two thoughts. First, if you can change your circumstances, do something. And second, if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. So looking at that first point, if you can change your circumstances, do something about it. Proverbs 14.23 says this. It says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. You know, when it comes to people who couldn't change their circumstances and chose to do something about it. I think that we all, we all know big examples, right? We know the Michael Jordans who, you know, didn't, didn't make the sophomore basketball team. And so instead of complaining about it, he went and shot hoops until he became an NBA star, right? We know the Henry Fords who created the Model T and it was awesome, but everybody said it was really unrealistic because it was never going to be attainable for an everyday citizen. So instead of complaining about it and saying, well, I made one car and it didn't work, 
what he did is he developed an automobile assembly line. We have Marie Curie, who, who overcame the fact that she was one of the only females in science to win a Nobel Prize. And sometimes, you know, when we look at um, those examples, they're great, and they're the first thing that come to mind, but they seem a little unattainable. Well, I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm not, like, a great scientist, and I've, I don't need, like, hardly know how to drive a car. I'm not going to develop one. So I was trying to think of examples closer to home, and I have a really good friend whose husband lost his full-time job, and she would come over, have coffee with me on a regular basis, and I don't recall her complaining. What I do recall her doing is saying, while he's building his freelance career, I'm going to do something. And I said, well, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know. I, I'm going to do something. That's something that she did is she went and she bought a sewing machine. I had a nicer sewing machine in my basement that I didn't use. She bought a sewing machine. She learned how to sew. And she spent the next five years doing a full-time business sewing baby bibs and baby blankets. That's it. She did something about it. Instead of complaining, she did something. And she said, it's so little. But she did something about it. Um, another thing we can do to change our circumstances our influences. Years ago, Samuel and I were down in Florida, and we were kayaking in the Everglades. Now, Michigan is a great place to kayak. So if you've ever been kayaking in Michigan, great place to kayak, definitely a great place to kayak in the winter if, if you're an adult, because I don't want my kids flipping in the ice anyhow. But Florida, why do you kayak in Florida? Anybody, in the Everglades. Why would you want to kayak in Florida? To see a... Alligator, yes. So we went kayaking in Florida, and we were all about, we're going to go see these alligators. Like, we want to get really up and close. We don't have them in Michigan. It's going to be awesome. So we go to the place. We're in the Everglades. They give us our bright orange life preservers, and they say, you're fine. You don't need to wear it. You just put it in your kayak. So we put it in the kayak, and we get going, and we're in, it's like a swampy river, and there are mangrove trees coming out. So there are all these, like, roots and they're coming up over the top of us and the water is black and it's really cool. And so we were feeling really good about our prospects of being an alligator. Sure enough, there's one. Oh, there's one. There's one all over the place. Well, at one point on the river, we came around, it was wide enough, we came around a couple and just after we passed them, we look back and they are screaming. Why are they screaming? They flipped their canoe and they have their life preservers on, and they are screaming and clinging to whatever they can grab on these mangrove trees in the water. And do you know what they're saying? They are saying, we don't know how to swim. Mm -hmm. They had absolutely no business putting themselves in that situation, knowing what their limitations were. And so when I look at complaining, I think the same thing. You know, if I am, if I, if I struggle with complaining and I go hang out with my friend Susie Q over here who struggles with complaining, we're not going to make each other, each other better. We're going to drag each other down. And we need to be very careful, even if it's just for a season, about the influences that we allow in our lives when it comes to what is coming out of our mouth. Um, 
The second point, if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Philippians 4, 8. Okay, everybody who loves winter, raise your hand. Yeah, I I, I love winter. Okay, now raise your hand if you love sledding. Okay, so I love sledding. Actually, I love speed. And you can get that when you're sledding. But the difficult thing is the first time you go sledding, you know, you 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 get on your sled, right? Unless you're one of the crazy people that goes head first. That's usually me, but it was a little more difficult to preach that way, so... Um, you get on your sled, and, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go sledding. And you don't go anywhere, right? Because the powder makes it hard. And so the first time down, you literally spend your whole time like this all the way down the hill, right? You look really awesome, just like I look awesome right now, okay? So you, you, you do that the whole way down the hill. The second time, it gets easier, right? Yeah, the third time, it's easier, the fourth time. And by the time you go seven, eight times, it actually becomes difficult to get out of the path that you've created. I absolutely love that. So our brains work exactly the same way, exactly the same way. There's an entire field of science that's actually devoted to figuring out our brain's ability to change itself and to map itself. Now, we live in a pretty um, central spot of of town, and so when Samuel and I will leave to do errands, um, it's very common for us to actually have to pass the road that we live on while we're out running errands. But inevitably, Samuel will start to turn down our road. Why? Because he's done it so many times before. Our brain, that's just the way our brain works. It teaches itself over and over and over. I was thinking about this this morning, actually. And I was thinking about why nobody in Allendale works in Chicago. Like, do you guys run into a lot of people that work in Chicago? I totally don't run into a lot of people that work in Chicago. Why not? That's not efficient. You know, if I, if I live here, so I'm, I'm always here, and I'm always there, and I'm always here, and I'm always there, it's way more efficient if I move closer to where I work. So there's a shorter distance. And our brain is exactly the same. Our brain takes two, is it? Okay, are you still there? Okay, our brain takes two events that happen together on a regular basis, and it actually moves them closer together to make it easier for our brain to bridge that distance. And so if something happens to me, if Susie Q is over here and she says, oh, I don't like your hair, and I say, well, I don't like your hair either, well, those two things move closer together. But if she says, I don't like your hair, and I say, oh, okay, no big deal, you know, and I choose a calm response, or I choose not to take offense, then those things move closer together, and I make it easier for my brain based on the patterns that I choose to go there. For this reason, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Romans 12.2 reiterates this by saying, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Most of the things that I've complained about in my life um, have actually ended up being turning out good, right? Uh, you know, it's hard when we're in a situation to see that that's going to be the outcome. But, um, but almost everything I've complained about has, has been good. Um, the, the Bible says in Romans 8.28, it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, I think about a personal example of this is when I was back in Wisconsin, go pack, go, um, <laughs> and I was a senior, I, all I wanted was to play soccer for a big state school. That's all I wanted. That was my dream. I just want to play soccer for a big state school. And my opening scrimmage of my senior season, I had a horrific knee accident in which I, I tore just about every ligament in my knee. And I remember that whole season, I cried every game. I sat on the bench with my warm-ups on next to my teammates because I just knew that my coach was going to let me stand on the field. I mean, I remember the last game saying, could you just let me stand out there? And, you know, I had just had surgery. And he's like, I can't, like, no way, <laughs> you know, I can't put you out there. And I remember feeling at the end of that season, like, nobody got to see me play. So nobody, nobody wanted me at their Big Ten school. And I had to have a shift of perspective. And when I did, I said, well, you know, my brother's at Hope. He loves Michigan. I'm going to move to Holland. And so I moved to Holland. I went to Hope. And I look at all of these things. And what, what was, for that entire period of my life, devastating, led me to meeting my husband. <laughs> Whew. Glad, glad that's a good thing. <laughs> Anyhow, I sat down with a dear friend's grandma years ago, and, um, and she was telling me about her divorce. There's not a pocket there. I tried putting my hand in my pocket. It's not there. And my dear friend's grandma was telling me about her divorce, and she, she had been married for 36 years, but for the 13 last years of her marriage, unbeknownst to her, her husband had been having an affair. And the way that she found out about this was when he brought the divorce papers to her, um, so that he could run off and marry his mistress. And he never came back. Uh, he remained married to the other woman until, um, until the day he died. But while he was in the hospital, my friend's grandma visited every week to pray over him and to comfort his new wife. And when people asked her, when they said, oh, my goodness, when they said, do, do you just regret all of those years? Like, it was just a, it, your marriage. Like, it was just, it was a farce. It was a lie. And this is what she said. He doesn't get to write my story. I had a blissful 36 years of marriage. He may have been unhappy and known that there was a lie, but I wasn't. And his actions don't get to rewrite my story. And I just love that because I wonder so often when it comes to us complaining, if anybody had a right to complain, she would be one of those people. But I remember sitting there and thinking, she's not complaining about it. She, she changed her perspective. And I just, I love that. And I wonder what circumstances are we allowing, what people are we allowing to affect us in a way that leads us to complaint 
instead of changing our perspective. <clears throat> you know, quite often when we're complaining, it's because we've forgotten the simple fact. We are not the center of the story. As Christians, the word tells us that the gospel is the center of the story, that Jesus is the center of the story. Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13 say, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, it's one thing to know, ah, I shouldn't complain, right? That's one thing to know it. And it's another thing entirely to have the tools to do it, to be equipped to do it. When I was in college, I um, was dating a kid. And um, one day, his dad and his brother and, and I all decided, well, let the, the four of us will go out on Spring Lake and we'll go water skiing. And so we took their boat um, out onto Spring Lake. And when we got out there, they said, hey, Becca, uh, you barefoot, right? And I said, well, I'm, I know how to barefoot water ski. And they said, you can do it long line. I said, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know how. To, to do that. And they said, great, uh, you should do it. And I said, nah, I, there, I need a lot of things for this. You know, you, um, you want an inboard boat so that the wake is um, flatter. You want a boat that can go over 35 miles per hour because you need to go pretty fast to get your body up and plane in the water. You need a specific rope. And then you need this little thing called a wetsuit. Well, they didn't have any of those. And I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> So I think eventually I got thrown in. And I said, well, fine, I'll just give it a go, right? So the way you deep water barefoot is this. To start, you have a rope, and it comes up between your legs. And you hold on to it, and you wrap your other legs around the rope. And then the, other, the people driving the boat, you tell them, as soon as my head goes underwater, you hit it, right? So you just, you just take off. And the idea is that it's going to get your body to come up out of the water, plane on the water, so you're planing, and then you can put your feet down and sit up. So <clears throat> I get in the water. I get the nasty rope, which isn't right. It's not padded. And remember, again, I did not have a wetsuit. And I said, okay, as soon as my head goes down, you just, you just hit it. And uh, they did. I put my head underwater, and they hit it. And the water I was supposed to be planing on top of actually ended up in a very uncomfortable position, uh, spot. <clears throat> and then uh, they went to circle around. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm, I'm good. And, and they said, no, no, you got to try again. And I'm in college, so I don't really have the heart to tell a high school boy, a college boy, and his dad that that was one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my entire life. So I said, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Well, they're in the boat. They refused to get me. So I'm thinking, okay, Beck. They give enemas all the time in hospitals, and they're fine. So, like, this time, if you just, if you just clench a little harder, and, and if you tell them to go a little faster on the way out, then you'll be good. So I get back down, and I'm like, okay, so, like, as soon as my head goes under, like, you just, I mean, like, hit it. Like, really hit it. So I, like... You know, pre-clenching, and I'm sitting down, and I am clenched as hard as I can. And I am laying back, and my head goes underwater, and they take off. And I did not barefoot that day. 
I also did not have a pain-free bathroom experience for probably the next two weeks. So there is a difference between knowing how to do something and having the right tools to do it. And when it comes to being thankful, it's not going to work for you to walk around and say, oh, just, or being thankful, not complaining. It's not going to work for you to just walk around and say, oh, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain. Like, that's just not going to work. So one of the tools that I think is super helpful is thankfulness. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thankfulness, make your requests known to God. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, oh, that's what, that was Philippians 4, 6-7. Psalm 103, 2-5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. So thankfulness. Thankfulness is a tool. Keeping it ever before us. Um, influence. We talked about this a little bit earlier. You need to be careful about who you're allowing to influence you. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, or in um, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You know, when I look back at that Everglades story, do you know who rescued them? It was my husband. It was the people we were with. It wasn't the fools that rescued the fools. It was the people that were the companions at the time. The, and, and he had to put himself in a dangerous situation because they couldn't do it. Um, the word, Proverbs 16, 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So thankfulness influenced the word and prayer. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I think that going forth today, I want us to employ those things, to say, what is, there, what is it that I complain about? What is it that I could shift my perspective in? Or what changes could I make in my life so that I don't have to complain about a certain area? <clears throat> Carla Mullen was my favorite teacher, and every single year, she was, she was the teacher of mainly seniors, but she loved students. I mean, kids that would never show up at any other class would come just to come to her class. She was awesome. And at the end of the year, when everybody was frantic about exams and tests and papers and all of that, she gave us a really rare gift. She would hand out the exact test that she would be giving two weeks before the test. And she, she, this is what she would say that I just absolutely loved. You have all had access to so much information over the course of the semester. If I truly want you to know something, why not allow you to focus on just those things that are most important? I don't want to trick you into guessing what's on your exam. Could you bow your head and close your eyes, please? God is the exact same way. He didn't send Jesus to trick us. He didn't tell us there would be a test. He did tell us that there would be a test, but he gave us the answer.
he said, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a lot of other information that God gave us. There are lists of ways to live a more faith-filled life here. Even the message today on how, to, how not to complain. And yet there's only one thing that salvation hinges on. And we are so amazingly loved that he wouldn't force us into this decision. He tenderly asks us to choose him and gain everything. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.